Welcome back to the Let's Have the Humanity Talk podcast, hosted by Natalia and Jessica, where we discuss topics from sexuality and mental health to overwhelmness. This is a reminder that our podcast is planned but unscripted and uploaded every two weeks. Today's episode is titled Sex Shame and Double Standards, and you can expect us to discuss what learning what these terms mean, the origins of sex shame, examples, and some movements that are de- deconstructing double standards and shame surrounding sexuality. This is a disclaimer that we are not physicians, we are just sex educators. And trigger warning, we're going to be mentioning sexual abuse, and please feel free to um, skip that part of the podcast. So to start, um, I want to define um, sex shame, which is a negative emotional response associated with the feeling of anxiety, guilt, or shame in relation to sexual activity. One part could be internalized, which can be humiliation, which an example would be, um, I feel dirty when I think about my sexuality or sexual experiences. It could be inferiority, which is, I feel ashamed that I have been forced into uncomfortable sexual situations. And another part of sex shame could be relational, which could be trust. And so an example of that would be, there are some things I can't talk about with my sexual partners or partner and intimacy, which is I feel bad about how or how few um, sexual experiences I've had. And the other half of today's episode is double standards. And um, a quick definition of double standards. Double standards are a rule or principle which is unfairly applied in different ways to different people or groups. And double standards often feed sex shame, which is why we thought that we would um, merge these two into one episode. So I want to give some examples of how, um, you know, people in our society are affected by double standards. So for instance, we often have the standard that women have to be proper or modest. And that comes not only with Um, their actions and their behavior, but also with what they wear. And I think we all know about this. So if a girl is wearing a, you know, a short skirt, if they're out too late and then they are raped, they are often told, oh, you were asking for it because of what you were wearing. And this leads to shame, but also when it comes to um, legal psychology and just justice in general, it can often... Um, lead to a lack of justice for women who are raped. And this also, obviously, men are raped as well, unfortunately, but we are currently talking about the specific double standard. Another double standard is women um, being expected to be sexually reserved. So that means that we can't be sexual, women um, can't engage or look like they desire sex or sex or sexual experiences and when they are not sexually reserved they are called slots while men may be called um the man or you know they are expected to just have multiple partners and um, be confident in their sexuality Another one is just clothing, right? Uh, Women can wear pants and then men can't wear skirts. So women are just, they have more flexibility on what they can wear while men are more limited. And this 
often leads to people making assumptions regarding their sexual preferences, their uh, gender identity, and gender expression. And then when speaking up, men are called leaders and women are called bussy or, you know, just complaining. And this also affects how men and women interact during sex. Even if we are talking about how they behave during, let's say, their workplace, this pretty much translates and gives um, teachings and messages that go on to other areas of life. So some women may feel like they can't speak up during sex or like let's say they can't be loud um, and this affects consent. Women feel like they don't have a say, like, you know, um, if they're just there with their partner and maybe they don't want to have sex, um, they don't speak up. And at the end that, you know, they're not really giving consent because they don't feel like they have uh, the right to consent. I also want to bring up how men during sex are like either quiet or can't be loud because they're deemed as not dominant because they're expressing how they feel and how they react, how they react. So they're seen as more submissive and it's looked down upon. Yes, that's another thing um, that really represses sexual preferences. Um, Like women are expected to be submissive. And then if you are really a man, you have to be dominant. And even though Mm -hmm. this is like in the privacy of the bedroom, um, that, you know, people still feel like they have to adhere to women being submissive, men being dominant, even if that's not the dynamic they wish to partake on. Yeah. And. It's just become internalized after so many years of that being instilled in you. Now it's how you think, even though you kind of in your brain think, oh, that's not right. But it's still it's so ingrained in you. Yeah. And you don't end up really enjoying your sexuality. Right. Um, And that leads to sex shame, because then if you and like if a man ends up being loud in bed or showing, uh, you know, being submissive, then they feel like they are less of a man or women. If they are loud after sex, they may become self-conscious about that. They'll be like, oh, I was too loud and then feel um, ashamed of, of whatever happened during their encounter. Yeah, being um, expressive of just having fun during sex. And so- having fun, but like being pleasured right feeling Mm -hmm. pleasure like uh, you know sometimes um when you are pleasured you moan you groan all the you make Mm -hmm. all these different sounds and by repressing or even just by like even being self-conscious of making sounds can lead to you not enjoying your sexual encounter because you're just overthinking it you're thinking and being conscious of how much sound you make when sex is really supposed to be about like enjoying yourself, enjoying your intimacy, enjoying the encounter in general. Mm -hmm. So an explanation of feeling that way could be from your upbringing. Yeah, for sure. Um, There are three types of sex that we could lay out um, in in today's episode. And that includes recreative sex, which is sex that, you know, people have sex to have fun. We have traditional sex, which is sex 
that's just for reproductive purposes. And then we have relational sex, which is when um, a, a couple decides to have sex in a way to be intimate and strengthen their relationship. And reproductive or traditional sex is often encouraged by religion. So religion becomes a huge part of sex shame because they tell you traditional sex is the only right way to have sex. Have sex if you're going to reproduce and nothing else. They don't like you having um, recreative sex because if it's for fun and you're just focusing on that and not focusing on reproducing, then it's a sin. If you're having relational sex, they also look down upon that. You know, especially nowadays, um, if you're not married and you're having sex as a couple, having relational sex, but you're using, let's say, like um, a condom or other, you know, uh, other kinds of protection, yeah, then being safe. Yeah, then, you know, it's it's like, you know, you, you can't be having sex with somebody that you're not married. And it doesn't necessarily affect everyone, but people who grow up in highly religious environments may really be affected by these teachings um, and feel ashamed when it comes to their natural uh, sexual forms. Um, and this also comes into play with masturbation because masturbation when you're masturbating it's pretty much you know relational and recreative you are um you are having fun with yourself being intimate with yourself getting to know yourself pleasing yourself you're not really reproducing are you so masturbation is often looked down by religion and then um a lot of people feel ashamed by engaging in you know, what is pretty natural self-pleasure. And demonizing those sexual desires um, can manifest in insecurity within ourselves, like you said. Um, an example of that could be my own personal experience of growing up with purity culture, which is just seeing virginity as like it's put on a pedestal which is growing up, I was told by older women in my family, oh, a guy won't like you if you're not a virgin. Like you're, you're like basically nothing. You're to them if you're not a virgin anymore. And growing up, it's like, oh, I'm not, not a person, but I'm just like, I'm not valuable, basically objectifying my body for others, you know? Yeah, so if you make a decision on your body to share uh, sex with somebody, whether that's for pleasure or intimacy or just fun, then you basically lose your value based on um, these standards, right? It's not a fun idea of thinking myself like, oh, I'm not good enough for this other person or myself. Like, I'm not good enough because I'm not a virgin anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, this also comes into play, you know, virginity is a social construct. It is really, there's, there's no base to hold it up. There's so many ways in which you can just easily deconstruct it. Because for instance, for the longest time, virginity was thought of, you are a virgin if your hymen is intact. 
well you can be born without your hymen your hymen can be easily broken by like um, partaking in sports riding a bike i was a gymnast again i wasn't looking into my hymen because i that wasn't really of interest to me but i'm pretty sure you know a lot of gymnasts get their uh hymen broken because of the um tough activities that they, they have to partake on as gymnasts so really that means they're no longer virgins but they haven't had sex and then what is sex so like what if you're pleasuring yourself um let's say you're doing um stimulation that does not include penetration that could exactly. be sex that's sex you know everyone has can have a different definition to sex so at that point you could have um you could be intimate with somebody else or with yourself but because you haven't touched your hymen or your hymen hasn't been broken then you're not a virgin anymore or are you so it's really just a flimsy concept mm -hmm. it really yeah. has no foundation other than religious obviously and that can also because my family wasn't religious it was just something it was just traditional viewpoint that they uphold for many years and i think that's part of like we're both hispanic hispanic descent we're of ma machismo culture which is instills gender roles which also contributes to shame to sex shame for yeah. example um men are expected to have girlfriends and women are not spoken to about sex i wasn't until it was already too late it's like oh yeah i know about it already move on so and this really you know parents are taking away their opportunity to give kids to talk to their girls to their young uh you know young children um, about safe sex if you don't talk to girls about sex they're sexual beings they're still gonna have sex at some point when they they're when they're ready you know but if you're just not telling them about it you're not giving yourself the opportunity to teach them about consent about their rights about about safe sex using mm -hmm. a condom so that you can protect yourself not not only from pregnancy but also from stis and things like that mm -hmm. and can we just bring up how growing up it's like in kindergarten or pre-k the it's like you have a girlfriend you have a little girlfriend like what like why are they're literally little kids like why and then women are like oh, a boy kissed you at school like you know and it, it makes me think, you know if if a little boy has a little girlfriend it means there's a girl involved right mm -hmm. so you want your boys to have girlfriends but you don't want the girls to have boyfriends so who are the girlfriends of these little boys yeah it's just the going to be other boys because then that's an issue too right you, mm -hmm. like a lot of hispanic families and just family in general who are homophobic don't want their kids to be gay or whatever but then they don't really want girls to partake in their you know mm -hmm. girlfriend adventures so i'm a little confused it's just different reactions they give different reactions to to the little boys and little girls just different reactions to the same thing yeah and it doesn't make sense to me i think it's unrealistic like again 
if your little boy has a little girlfriend, as you call it, it's a girl. Mm-hmm. You know, so <laughs> there's definitely a girl having a little boyfriend too, but you don't want to talk about that or you want to shame the little girl for that, but you mm-hmm. encourage the little boy. It's just, it makes no I think sense. that's just like a perfect way, like a perfect way to really uh, like define double standards, right? It's the same situation. A boy but just different reactions. Have a girlfriend without a girl, but really, you're only proud of the boy having a you know a little girlfriend and not the girl having a little boyfriend. Doesn't make sense to me. There's also other parts like you know, and now Ray mentioned it like by not talking to girls about sex or at least their own bodies, and being in denial about how we all are sexual beings we are robbing ourselves from providing them with sex education comprehensive sex education and one of the things i had a friend and i gave them the tip the tip if the the very first one rule to avoiding or preventing sexual abuse and other things is to call to teach the girls how to call their parts the correct name and they were like oh but they're too young to know that i'm like they're four years old why are we calling their vaginas and their vulvas cookies exactly like they can, they can call an arm and an arm this is my ear why can't we call what it's called it actually helps a lot with um sexual assault in children basically because they can explain Instead of being, oh, they touched me down there, you can actually, down there could mean a leg, a foot, you know what I mean? Yes, and and it's really important because giving kids the, the tools to know their body, we're giving them the autonomy and mm-hmm. giving them the sense of the right they have over their bodies and understanding that, you know, um, this is my body and it's private, yes, I'm not going to share with anybody else. But when we don't tell our girls and boys that they have vulvas and penises, we are robbing them from the knowledge that they have bodies and they have a right. Mm-hmm. And then they don't really know how to express themselves when something does happen. Also, the we are sexual beings by nature, but we also have a full spectrum of where we land when it comes to sexual interests, sexual preferences, gender expressions, etc. And um, we don't really teach boys and girls to, we don't really teach them that they are who they are and it's okay to have different preferences when it comes to sex. And one part of it, I mean, we're still, households are really just trying to accept now that we have homosexual people and people that are bisexual and people that land all over that spectrum. But it's really hard for people that are asexual because mm-hmm. we don't really talk about, you know, it's not only that they could be this and that and, and uh, you know, 
uh, land whenever wherever in the uh, in the spectrum between heterosexuality and homosexuality there's also different spectrums of sexuality like you know people who can be pansexual people who can be asexual and so many other you know parts of sexuality and when we're not teaching them and then they find themselves not being interested in sex or being interested in other people they just feel shame they exactly feel, i was never told about this so am i weird am i the only one is something wrong with me yeah i love how we're starting to have more educational books about the entire spectrum and families being more involved to teaching their children and teens about the entire spectrum about instead of being because they feel that's like oh I don't feel sexual desire or I don't feel as much as others like I'm broken and but when they're given or shown that label of asexuality they're like this is me this is I finally have something I I belong somewhere yeah and it's it's saddening because the reality is that a lot of parents think that by teaching them about sex, their kids are going to go ahead and have sex. By teaching them about sexuality, their kids are going to automatically become homosexual. Like, there's nothing wrong with being homosexual, but being homosexual has nothing to do with what you teach them. With, a te like, showing them what the spectrum really looks like. The, the people that are out there and knowing you're an individual too and you may fall anywhere in this continuum right yeah and gay is not uh, a negative like we have to stop being it's like oh you're gonna turn out like gay it's like why isn't gay a negative oh yeah that, and has, people, that has to be thrown out honestly yeah and people calling men gay as an insult mm -hmm. Like you're not sleeping in, in enough, you're not sleeping around enough. Oh wow, you must be gay. Like what? They could be asexual. They cannot be interested in sex at that particular point in, in in their life because sexuality can be very fluid and different things affect your sexual desire. You may be going through a lot of stress, or you may just not be interested in girls at all, or not in sex at all, or not you know whatever Go it off. is. It's Go okay. <laughs> It's okay, but really, we have to stop using gay as a, an adjective that seeks to insult someone mm -hmm. because it's it, it's hurtful for the gay community, for people who are gay, and it's hurtful for people who are being told these things. Like, you could be gay and, you know, that there's nothing wrong with that, but also uh, you could just be asexual or you could just keep your, your sexual life private. You could just not be sharing who you sleep with. Whether it's been one person or 20 people, like, it's not really nobody else's businesses. So, like, you don't really have to tell them. That doesn't mean you're not having sex. And nobody has the right to call you gay or whatever it is that they want to call you in order to insult you so if you have signs um of experiencing um sex shame something you can do could be whoever is instilling that in you you can distance yourself from that person if you can and that is making you feel insecure and maybe set some boundaries with that person when they're mentioning something that is hurtful you could say hey Please stop making me feel this way. I feel uncomfortable. Well, something that I struggle with as well, setting boundaries. But if you can't um, leave the situation, it's better for you to set those boundaries. Another thing, if you can't set the boundaries, um, how about working 
on self-exploration, such as um, finding what you what you enjoy, such as like um, masturbation. Toys are really helpful. And sex books, which is educating yourself on multiple things sexual-wise. Yeah, and there's also professionals out there that are looking to expand on comprehensive sex education. Um, you know, there are workshops available, there are articles available. Um, just make sure that whatever you find and you're using uh, to acquire the knowledge that's from people that have been educated. Because experts, if you will. Sexperts. Yes, exactly. So that you know that you're getting the right information. And apart from that, you can yourself be part of a support group or you know there are so many resources out there people that are confused and feel ashamed as well and really that support from human being to human being helps a lot when we are being the targets or the objectives of people's ignorances when it comes to sex so some of the movements that are currently in place that are changing the narrative on these things. Free the nipple. Can you tell me a little bit about free the nipple, Jessica? Well, I wish I could free the nipple, honestly. Like, wh- where is it in Spain that you could just walk around the beach and have no top on? I am I'm not sure, but I know in Europe there are um, some places. I know they're over there they're a little bit more liberal when it comes to that. Here in Miami, I do know of nude beaches where you can Mm -hmm. um, go there and be as naked or as clothed as you want. I myself have gone to the nude beach and it's pretty liberating because everybody, at least in this specific nude beach that I've been to, everybody's just minding their businesses. It's not really a place. I feel like when you go to the regular beach, Everyone's just looking at each other like, who yeah. has the best body? Uh, does that bikini suit her, et cetera, et cetera. But when you go to the nude beach, people are just trying to relax and you're just like, you know, enjoying that the freedom yeah. of freeing the nipple. <laughs> I should do that. I feel like doing that, like going to the beach and just let it free, you know. And I yeah, I'm just excited for how liberating it might feel to just take off all the literal clothing all like to shed everything and just hey this is my body i'm just gonna walk around and enjoy you know what i mean yeah i do recommend that as an experience that is safe and an experience that can help you feel closer to yourself and embrace your body as it is Um, apart from freeing the nipple within like places that you can just walk around naked there's also a huge thing of like women having to wear bras and you know nipples not showing through not even like the silhouette of it not any part of it like people even if we know there are nipples there and that they're being covered people want to just like pretend that they do not exist so it's just that judgment you know that people have and not because they're bad people it's just we've been taught that we have to cover it all up um another one is body positivity and body neutrality which we have talked about previously and the the, you know a, a good thing about these movements is that 
being embracing our own bodies can affect the way we feel about ourselves as sexual beings. So not only feeling good about our bodies just as they are, but also how we feel about our bodies when we are being sexual with other people or just being sexual in general. If we don't feel like we can love our bodies just in the privacy of our own rooms with nobody else around, it's really hard to really pleasure ourselves sometimes. So, you know, when it comes to masturbation as well as shared sex, embracing your body and just as it as it is and as you are is important and plays a really important part in in pleasure and enjoying yourself i just want to say that it's okay to not be there yet it's okay to not be fully okay with how your body looks or how you feel about it it's a journey and maybe it will always be a journey, but starting from zero, it's really hard. And it just takes time and effort to truly love what you are. Especially with the, you know, in the environment that we live in, where people are very judgmental, it can definitely be really hard and courageous to take steps into loving yourself a little bit more. And that you know just as healing is not linear this journey is not linear Uh, some days you may really love yourselves the next day you may not feel as sure about it and that's okay that being said um we are going to end today's episode and i hope that you guys stay tuned to our next episode which is going to be focused on the female pleasure